whatever may have been my political opinions before, I have but one sentiment now. We have a government and laws and a flag, and they must all be sustained. There are but two parties now, traitors and patriots. I want hereafter to be ranked with the latter. The words of General Ulysses S. Grant. And this is the Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. This episode of the podcast, we look at where our republic stands after this week's seditious insurrection. Then we'll wrap with our hot take section and our guardian of the week. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. Patrick, uh, welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Justin. Happy New Year to all our listeners. Let's talk about where we stand. My rage knows no bounds Yeah, right now. I and anybody who followed me on Twitter will see it. I just was not holding back. At, no, I've never seen so many curse words. I couldn't. I remember the first curse word I saw of yours and I went, whoa. And then on the 10th curse word of yours, I went, yeah, you're just don't you don't care anymore. No. Too angry. Well, no, we're, 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 I, I, we've been saying this a lot. We're, we're at war. This is an enemy. You don't disarm in front of an enemy. You don't you don't try to dance around an enemy. You don't try to appease an enemy. You have to take them on head on. And that's what's happened. Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Gosar, Getz, uh, the whole lot of them. Donald Trump. Oh. And the people who broke into our Capitol and the people who invited them in in the Senate in the house and in the police force, the Capitol police, people who opened the doors and said, go, go, go quick, fast. Cause we saw that. How did this affect you personally? I, and that's, I think this is why, um, I, I've told this story before and, and the people who've listened to the podcast may have heard one of our anecdotes about how you and I were introduced. It was because of our mutual co connection via the, uh, American Revolution. Also, Bob From, Summer, who interestingly was in the news this week. Yeah, Bob Summer. If you if you Google Bob Summer and the, and a New York Times article, the, the person who introduced Ian and myself, you'll see Is a the very one interesting. Who was, yes, who's the one who? I mean, I was tell it was the person who was texting. He, Kush, uh, he cursed out uh, Jared Kushner and his father and Ivanka and ever because he has he, has, he, he worked for them. Yeah, um, anyway, that's who introduced us. Anyway, that's, but for me, you know, my. My interest is from childhood. I grew up um, in the Philadelphia suburbs. I would, as a teenager, take the train into Philadelphia and wander the halls of Independence Hall in, in just awe of what had been accomplished there. Imperfect as it was, absolutely imperfect as it was, the Declaration of Independence and, and the Constitution. But how amazing that we were able to build a country without a common king or culture just based on a document, the U.S. Constitution. Um, 
and have continued that. And in fact, as I was in college, I interned in Washington, D.C. I was on Capitol Hill in, in an era many years ago when uh, you, got a, you got an ID pass and you could roam anywhere you wanted to within the Capitol. And I took advantage of that, um, sitting at the seats of, of senators in the Senate chamber. Um, so there's an awesomeness to all of that for me. Um, that I just saw desecrated on uh, on Tuesday, and not only just desecrated by a mob, by but a mob that was incited by the President of the United States, as well as abetted by U.S. Senators and members of the House of Representatives. They are disgusting. They need to be expelled. They need to be any any and all uh, criminal. Uh, charges or anything, any other uh, retribution to be brought against them should be brought down and brought down hard. It, fe <laughs> it felt like it felt like nine eleven in a way. Um, slightly slightly different, but similar, right? Um, because it was all of us under attack. Uh, quickly, I'm amazed that there were f so few casualties. Uh, something that we see pictures of now is um, rioters who have uh, traitors to the nation who were attacking our, our the capital, um, coming in with uh, uh, handcuffs, with ties. Right? Yeah. They uh, they were looking for the vice president. They were looking for the Speaker of the House. They were looking for the Senate minority, soon to be majority leader. They were going to enact vengeance on them. I was sort of amazed. This isn't the point, but I was sort of amazed that they didn't do even more damage. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's the paintings. Amazing. It was the paintings that I was like, yeah. really? How did they all survive? How did they not knock over every statue? Um, there was that weird moment where they entered the Capitol and they were walking through the area with the statues and they and sort they, of looked around in awe of it for a moment. And they and they stayed within the rope lines. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. They see, I noticed that as well. They stayed within the within the rope lines. But we when started, they got into the it's when they got into the private offices that they yeah. started, uh, you know, ransacking. Um, but and they knew not, where to go. Yeah, I mean, there are so many. There are so many. We are we are recording this as we often do on Friday, uh, January eighth. I should know that because the sixth was two days ago, and we'll remember January sixth, two thousand twenty-one, for the rest of our lives. You'll remember where you were when it happened. That we're recording it now. We don't have all of the answers in terms of who was on the inside helping the rioters, the 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 um, the traitors to our nation. We don't have all that information yet. I think we're going to get more of that information. Um, Capitol Police, who were there's that one video that I saw yesterday that was it was it was it was it was like the whole Trump administration, shocking but unsurprising. Is that right. is that what is that is that the term that we've sort of used? It's right. Shocking but not surprising mm -hmm. to see um, a police officer open a barricade and whisk people through and say go go go, and realize that. That and the fact that the National Guard was on delay, and maybe this is why Barr stepped down because he knew this was going to happen, and this is why he fired 
President Trump fired the Secretary of Defense so that he could be in control of that and hold that back? What if people had, what if it's, uh, I couldn't talk yesterday. I had a friend who I was supposed to have a meeting with at 11 o'clock and uh, she looked at me and she said, I have no words. I said, I, I don't even think I can speak. I'm so devastated. I was devastated by that. I was really devastated by it. Well, because you saw, I mean, the pictures from the summer when there was a Black Lives Matter uh, march yeah. in, in Washington and you had National Guards, Guards members on every step of the Capitol stationed six feet apart and armed in camouflage, right? In riot gear. So, right. With guns. Every, every step, every six feet apart. There was yeah. somebody standing as a, and this, this well known because this has been talked about, uh, for weeks now on these QAnon, uh, channels that something was going to happen. I mean, you didn't know what, but you, you need to be prepared for something. Yeah. Um, just, it's, it's just absolutely amazing that that happened. Um, but then, you were just talking about something about racial injustice. And before yeah. we get into that, I want to talk back to something we talked about. It was right before the election. And you and I went through the different possibilities of what could happen, right? Is it what's best for the nation? What's best for the republic, right? What's best for the patient that we talk about all this time? Is it best for Trump to just win? So, like, there's peace. I mean, and we're going to live in an authoritarian dictatorship, but at least there won't be a civil war. Or is it Biden winning? And you know, the worst case scenario is Biden winning super close where, the, you know, that's what we said. But what you said was the Band-Aid needs to be ripped off. That's what needs to happen. Do you think because I was I watched, I thought of your words and I, I texted you right away. I said, this is the Band-Aid coming off. Do you think it's the Band-Aid coming off? Uh, it, the question is, to what extent does everybody recognize it's the Band-Aid coming off? Are they pretending that the Band-Aid is still – it's still possible to put it back on? Because it is. Right. Um, and the the question is how does, does Joe Biden handle it? How do how does the Republican leadership handle this? And, 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 you know, let's back up just a second. I mean just – you know, everybody's been following this. But just to be clear, why is this sedition? Why Why is the fact – that even after this riot happened, before it was still sedition, but, but obviously it became obvious sedition because sedition is incitement of people to violently overthrow a, a government. Now, in the United States, the government is the U.S. Constitution. The Constitution is checks and balances. The Constitution is respect for institutions, each of which has its own powers, the separation of powers. What we saw both before and especially after the riot by Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Gosar Getz, the, and, and, and all of them. anyone who yeah. continues a hundred and what was there? 140 of them, 147 of them in the elected members of the U S Congress stood up and said, now they tried to, they tried to change the, the tactic a little bit. They said, Oh, we only want a congressional commission to study election fraud, but they, you know, they, they tried to move the goalpost there. But what they were basically saying is that the election officials in each of these states cannot be trusted. And what the they judge, were saying is that the 62, the 64 judges who ruled on each of these cases cannot be trusted. That the process 
set up in our United States Constitution by which we hear grievances and decide on them and then agree to abide with whatever that decision is, is not to be trusted. In other words, the American system of government is rigged and not to be trusted and therefore does not need to be respected. That is the dictionary definition of treason and inciting people to overturn the government and those things is incitement to sedition. That is why these people who stood on the uh, on the floor of the Senate and the, and the House of Representatives saying these things are guilty of a crime of sedition. That is why it is truly a crime of sedition because yeah. they are undermined. Again, we are not a country of a, a monarch, a ruler. A, we are not a country of a culture. When you pledge allegiance to the flag of the, in the United States of, Amer of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, the republic is only the words of the Constitution. And the words of the Constitution are the system of checks and balances, the system of separation of powers. It's not a set of policies. It is a system. And these people don't understand that. And this is what I, you know, I, what I've been working at. Um, and that, when I worked with uh, John Dean, the, the former <laughs> Watergate uh, uh, cons conspirator who turned against Richard Nixon um, and now has, has been very forceful in his in calling out the Republican Party for allowing this to happen. And this was even before Trump that he started this. Um, and uh, his latest book, Authoritarian Nightmare, which I actually helped him work one with with a psychologist and did a did a survey which looked at the authoritarianism that exists in the country and it's always there. There's always about a quarter of the re of the population in any country that has authoritarian tendencies. The question is to what extent are those authoritarian tendencies given voice, given credibility? In most cases they are not and this is what the founders understood. You set up a system of government where the leaders in the government understand that maintaining those democratic norms and conveying that to the public, that these are the norms that we live by, what you might want, you know, your side to just jump up and, and do whatever the hell it wants, but you can't do that because these are the norms. Even if people don't intrinsically believe that, they have to accept that. Now you have a, a system where one quarter of the elected representatives in the Congress have said, yes, authoritarianism is, is good, sedition is okay. And they have given credence to these authoritarians to act and act violently, which is what we saw. And that's where the danger lies here is the band-aid has been ripped off but to what extent will will people put it back on so there's 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 two things that we have two parties that we have to look at the republican party to what extent does it accept responsibility for allowing this to happen not just in the last four years but this has been growing to to the past 25 years and that their role in this you know mitch mcconnell you know grave a great great speech uh, before the, before the, the violence before happened, the, before the violence happened, the, right. and said basically, this is not a harmless protest gesture. It is not, he, uh, he looked, and he and it, and it became true hours later, right? Not even hour later. He looked like he was going to cry when he was giving that speech. He begged, he pleaded. And we're going to talk about the the Georgia Senate campaign, <laughs> the craziness of all that, and the upside um, for the Democrats, but. He, he looked like he was chastened. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, I, I keep coming back to this moment. It was in the 2016 election where President Trump was talking to African-Americans and he said, and I, I take it for the whole country. He said, what have you got to lose by electing me? Like, just stay home. Don't don't vote for her. Like, things are no good for you. What have you got to lose? So I think about that line a lot. And uh, our country. Not not for the African-Americans, because as you said and as, as you've expressed, that's what this is all about. When we look at how the Capitol Police and, and Black Lives Matter protests and seditious rioters are handled. But we we've lost we've lost the 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 we've lost the plot of our nation and the purpose of it. And we are uh, around the world. We now have no standing when it comes to uh, authoritarian dictators because they're going to say, really? what you're going to you're going to speak out against the way we do our business look at the way you do your business and that's true there, there's so here's the here's yeah i the, would say you know as a as a somebody was born in the in 1964 um and you know started growing up with with uh, the urban riots uh, civil civil rights riots um you know the unrest uh, and the uncertainty of the seventies. Those aren't still. Right. I mean, are those riots? Can we? I don't want to equate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me. Yeah. I, let's I think. Say, I think yeah. you need to be mind. I think we all yeah. need to be mindful that the word riot is 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 something different now. Right. Right. We just I mean, saw riot. Yes. But we saw we saw an insurrection, which we is saw an, ins- yeah. which you know that's our, we have seen many riots through the years where people have protested and then gotten violent over some issue. This was an insurrection. Yes. Um, and so this was a riot that was an insurrection rather than a riot which, that was just a riot. But anyway, the, the point I was making is that growing up, you know, the violence that was happening, the questioning about uh, American government. And still, I remember my father saying this to me all the time, that our system of government is still what the rest of the world looks to as a beacon. Because we cobbled this all together and we still hold it all together without a thread of a common culture, without a thread of a, of a single uh, leader, uh, you know, a monarch, which is what you were saying, is that now how do we today turn around and, and say that to the rest of the world? We can't. At one point, someone said this is the greatest country in the world during, during that, during the speeches. And I went, no, it's not. Not close. Not remotely close. Not anymore. Maybe not ever, but certainly not anymore. We're not. We're we're on the precipice of uh, of deep problems, and the only hope that I have, and maybe a little early in the in the in the in the conversation to talk about hope, but as we said at the time about taking the band aid off, is that we're exposing these things. It is impossible to not see the difference between the Black Lives Matter movement and how people were treated when President Trump was going to walk to a church and the way people who were trying with 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 guns, they were armed. That is, we are seeing pictures of people armed at this point to go into our Capitol building to kidnap. They wanted to hang the vice president yeah. on a liberty tree is what they said. They wanted to kill people. Those people were handled largely as if uh, they, I mean, they were let left to go, go, please leave. 
yep, okay, you've done your business now, please go. Whereas in the Black Lives Matter movement, you have 50, 100, 200 people arrested constantly, beaten down. I kept waiting. I was like, these people deserve, these people in that moment, how were they not violently taken down? The, the opposite happened. So how can a person of color in this country and, and how can any person in this country not see directly right in front of us? This is the biggest problem we have. Yeah. This is what I was just thinking exactly when we're talking about the Band-Aid being ripped off. This is the sore. This is the that, that we need to see. Um, so, you know, we've been Black Lives Matter. I mentioned the civil rights riots and uh, violence and, and, and disturbances of the, of, of the late 60s. This is an opportunity. I mentioned that the Republican Party needs to get its act together and take responsibility for its anti-constitutionalism and allowing that to, to foment for the past uh, generation. But the Democratic Party now has to take the bull by the horns in, in another direction. And Joe Biden needs to... See and he is, will is, is that we have an existential crisis here in the country. Now we have a number of existential crises in the in the world, uh, COVID, climate change, but the original sin of the United States of America is slavery, and the lasting sickness of that is racism and and racial injustice. It was the cause of our civil war, right? And it is the cause of what happened. There were there were um, traitors who were attacking our Capitol who replayed George Floyd on the Capitol steps. Yes, I saw that. There were traitors who attacked our Capitol who walked in with a Confederate flag. It was the first time that a Confederate flag had ever flown inside our Capitol building. They took down the flag of the United States of America and they put up a Trump flag. You know, by the way, you know, the, this, this whole flag thing, and I, I really need to look into this because, you know, flags are primal. They're symbols of our identity. And that's why in an immigrant country like the United States, you see a lot of people flying flags of their cultural heritage, right? Their, their Italian flags or Irish flags or, you know, whatever they, they happen to be as a symbol of just the, the tribe that they have come from, not a symbol of necessarily for them an allegiance to the country, but as their tribe. But flags mean something much more significant than lawn signs. And Donald Trump is the first politician we've ever had that has had flags, at least in my recollection. Right? Yeah. That he has become, he has supplanted the American flag. So now and that, again, another definition of sedition right there. So Lindsey Graham, traitor, Lindsey Graham, great speech maker, Lindsey Graham, liar, seditious, fool, criminal Lindsey Graham, who called the Georgia Secretary of State asking him to throw away absentee ballots. Lindsey Graham, never to be forgotten, the traitor that he is, Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham stood up and said, enough is enough. I'm out. I'm out. How many of the rest of the senators, how does Mitt Romney caucus with Josh Hawley? How? Yeah. How does that happen? How does the Republican Party not stand up for the nation at this point when it was literally their lives at stake? Their lives are at stake. Donald Trump sent the, the, the guy who sat next to him and put his water bottle on the floor when he put his water bottle on the floor. 
His dog was in that Capitol building, and he sent those people to kill his dog Mm -hmm. and to kill all of the other people who have stood next to him and behind him. The Republican House members who are standing up for Donald Trump, do you think they, if the guns went blaring, how many of them would have been killed? Do they care? Is $174,000 a year worth that? They would have been killed. Yeah. I'm shocked that they weren't. I'm grateful that they weren't. All three, the, the vice president, the Speaker of the House, and, and Grassley, all three of them were in that building, were in that room. And are they going to take responsibility for this? Are they that, going to that, stand that, up and say, mm-hmm. our country is more important than this traitor who is leading us? Right. We've never used that word. We, we've been more careful. I've been more careful. Because mm-hmm. how do you say that about the guy who is the head of our country? But he is. He's a traitor to our country. Yeah. Donald Trump is a traitor to our country. Josh Hawley is a traitor traitor to the U.S. Constitution. Our country is the U.S. Constitution. And and by the way, it's the U.S. Constitution. The problem that we have in these terms is that these folks in the Trump world have created their own reality, that they have literally redefined what the U.S. Constitution is to match their authoritarianism. They say they're defending the Constitution, and then when you ask them what they're actually defending, they parrot back some words, and then when they describe what they mean, it's absolutely antithetical to the Constitution. That's the problem that we have. By the way, you know, on on the left, you know, we have folks on the left, these anarchists who say the Constitution gets in our way, it 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 prevents racial uh, justice, it prevents um, economic justice. Um, and they point to the fact that slavery was embedded in the original constitution and, and, and they're right to that, to a certain extent, it prevents certain things from happening quickly as the way they want it. What those anarchists don't realize, of course, is that the upside of the, of the constitution is that if you, if it prevents a, you know, a degradation into violence, um, and no, and and, and, and and they're a little, and I think, and I think they're a little naive, to be honest, um, be, because you know, if if you allow, you look at look at other revolutions besides the American Revolution, look at the French Revolution, look at other things that happened at that time. Each one of those revolutions, in essence, failed after the initial takeover because those people didn't know how to govern and compromise. The American Revolution is one of the few revolutions that succeeded, and it was because we recognized our leaders at the time recognized the potential, because it was happening, of devolving into violence and anarchy and came up with this constitution as a way to prevent that. And okay. all the constitution is, is that, hey, we agree that the rules of the game work. Even if we don't agree with everything that happens, even if we're pissed off at the government, we agree that the rules of the game at the end of the day keep us safe and secure. And that's why the American Revolution worked where equate, others didn't fail. Patrick, you cannot equate left-wing progressives who want to see I'm not taken. Okay, but you kind of did. So Okay, right, no, I'm not. So what I was I was I was I was I was laying out a very long analogy here. So okay, okay. Those those are the folks in the left and they say, you know, that the constitution is problematic for those reasons. And I say, you know, there's there's some naivety there in in understand I agree with them to some extent, but then there's some naivety. You can't get rid of it or else they're never going to achieve what they want to achieve because we'll devolve into a different type of authoritarianism. But we can't, the problem, we the problem on the right, sides. though, is is the problem on the right is those people on the right who are authoritarian 
have convinced themselves through lies and deceit and self-deceit that they are defending the Constitution. And that is intrinsically much more dangerous, a hell of a lot more dangerous than the folks on the left who are saying that the Constitution is problematic. And that's that's the okay. point I was trying to make. Fair enough. The point I, I was just trying wanted to, make to is that the, yeah. we had to be we had to be clear about that. Yeah. Um, there was a moment. It was I think it was the night after the night of where Matt Gates came out. Pig Matt Gates, traitor Matt Gates, traitor, traitor to our nation, Matt Gates. Where Matt Gates came out and said, you know, it wasn't really the Trumpers, it was Antifa. And in that moment, and then all the people, you know, followed that and said, yeah, you know, I think it was Antifa. I think it was Antifa. And I realized in that moment something. I think I thought that supporters of Donald Trump who were following everything that he said just weren't smart enough to see what was going on, that they were having the wool pulled over their eyes, right? And and, and in a way, I kind of gave them a pass, not a pass. I, I, didn't, I don't give them a pass. I don't. I don't. But the fact that they then tried to shift it and say, actually, it wasn't us. It was it was the Antifa people. It said, oh, no, you're not you're not having the wool pulled over your eyes. You're just evil. You're just evil to believe that and to to spout that and say it's not us when it was literally the people who were at that rally listening to our traitor president tell us, tell them to go and march on the Capitol for Donald Trump Jr. to say we're coming after you. For Noah Hawley to raise his fist to those traitors and say, come, come and get me. And if you look in his eye in that in that picture, there's a mixture of so many things going on, right? As, a, as the actor, uh, this is what I do is I look, well, what, what is he thinking there? There are a number of things he's thinking if you go and look into that picture. One is a little bit of fear. Two is a little bit of, I'm going to need you to get where I want to go. And three is, let's take him all down. All that's in there. He's a little afraid of them and he needs them and he wants them. And Noah Hawley should be arrested. Ted Cruz should be arrested for what they've done. They are educated humans. They know better. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking it brought to mind to me, and I mentioned this to you, that yesterday I watched uh, – the episode Nightmare from Turn again. Um, and that and the reason why I watched it is it portrays a version of what was the Pennsylvania line in Pompton mutinies in January of 1781. We should give a little background that there were mutinies for in General Washington's army because they, they weren't being paid, frankly, by Congress. Right. Congress was holding back payment to to these different militias or to these different soldiers around the country and they started to fight back and not totally without it, it's not not understanding why they would washington himself was incredibly frustrated with right. congress at that time i just want to give the context a little bit right and so and and he was he was lenient towards these mutinies in general right. as they arose because of that reason um but finally you know it it came to a breaking point where he understood that the army would go down if he didn't do something. And so we got to the Pompton mutiny of the, of the, New, the, New, the New Jersey Brigade uh, in late January 1781, and he finally realized something had to be done. So, and, and if you mutiny, you sh should be executed. 
But what did he do? Rather than execute everyone who was involved in the mutiny, he I he told um, I think it was General Wayne to identify Mad General Wayne. A couple of the leaders. He identified two sergeants who led this mutiny, and he made the other mutineers shoot the leaders of their own mutiny. Yep. As an example, and that ended it. And that's what what figuratively figuratively the Mitt Romney caucus needs to do with the Josh Hawley sedition caucus right now. That would be the Band-Aid really coming off. Yep. Watching Mitt Romney give that speech, he looked so frail. He had just been accosted. It was shocking to watch in, in Salt Lake City at the airport, followed around and, and screamed after. And then he stood up and he was sitting behind Hawley as Hawley was looking directly at camera. The same way I teach politicians to do every day. That's what you do. You look at camera. <laughs> you look at camera and you get connection with your audience. That's what Hawley did. And Romney behind him with his eyes darting. Tom Cotton behind Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. My shame, my, sh- my, it's not my shame, my sadness was that Ted Cruz only spoke before the riots, the seditious riots, and did not stand up to speak after. Ted Cruz. What a craven piece of crap yeah the worst of it he's been on all sides of this he's just a traitor for his own he should be he he should be arrested Mm -hmm. they should be kicked out of congress chris coons senator chris coons i'm a big fan of him i have to say senator chris coons came out late last night and said that cruz and holly must be kicked out of congress it all t- remember in the Constitution, the members of the Senate and the members of the House get to decide the qualifications and the presence of their fellow members. And if two thirds of them say this person does not deserve to be here for gross violations or whatever reason they come up with where that person should be in it, that person is gone. So it's happened to Steve we, King. It yeah. happened to Steve King. Well, they didn't they didn't expel him. They just uh, the leadership kicked him off his committees. But I mean, expelled, literally expelled from office that they create a vacancy in that office. Um, So it's in the Constitution right there. So all it would take and this it'd be harder to do on the uh, House side side because so many Republicans signed up for that nonsense. Um, And that's the problem with the House side. But on the Senate side. You know, you have 50 Democrats, and they just need to be joined by 17 Republicans to say these two people, Cruz and Hawley, do not deserve to be here. So let's get to the impeachment of President Trump, which looks like it is likely to it, – it's certainly possible, right? That's right. Is, and, and, and one of the reasons why it's possible is even if they can't get him out of office between now and January 20th. They can do it afterwards. They can do it afterwards and prevent him from ever holding federal office again. Which would probably be wise. But can you imagine that he would run for federal office again? No. Could he? Could, no. I mean, c- could you imagine that Republicans would vote for him in the same in the same, in numbers the same way? Yeah, I, think I, I could imagine him doing it because he's um, unhinged. And he, you know, again, you create this own reality. If you can, if you are capable of creating your own reality that is devoid of any factor or anchor in, in true reality, then you can, you're capable of doing anything. And that's that's our concern for the next uh, week and a half here with him still in office. Is but that so he's 
capable yeah. of anything. Without but, question. Yeah. Do you but think the impeachment let, makes sense? Before we get to later and and what's going to happen in the Senate with Biden uh, and having the majority uh, because of what happened in Georgia, it seems like that vote should happen now. That vote should happen now. They should. Nadler says we'll just put it right to the floor for a vote. Yeah, he will definitely be voted. Um, he will be impeached in the House. There's no question. It will then quickly go to the Senate. If they can get a Supreme Court justice done in a week, they can impeach this president. I would like to see which Republicans will not stand up at this point to say that per, from a personal perspective, what are the children of these senators saying? What are the children of these senators saying to their parents who almost died? I know that sounds crazy, but it's not crazy. They could have died on that day. Do you say, no, dad, you, you got to keep being a senator? You, you got to, it, it doesn't matter. You got to make sure that you get reelected. Why? 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 Do you think this is the end of the Electoral College? I hope so. And it's quite possible. I mean, this is remember when Mitch McConnell stood up to speak. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that he mentioned was you're basically saying the Electoral College doesn't work. And folks on our side support the Electoral College for obvious reasons. They couldn't win the presidency without it uh, in most cases. So, um, you know, how many um, actual popular votes have they won in the past 20 years? It was uh, 2004. That was it. Right. They've only actually won one election mm -hmm. in 20 years. Um, so more yeah, in 1992, they didn't win the the popular vote. 1996, they didn't win the popular vote. 2000, they didn't win the popular vote. Yeah, But I'm talking about times that the, the, the Republicans became president. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, 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 right. But uh, yeah, the last time, you know, in going back to 1988, the uh, last time that the Republicans won the popular vote or the only time, one single time was 2004. And that was a reelection. Um, so you never know whether they, if if they had if Al Gore had become president in 2000, they might have never they might have been never won. So who knows? But yeah, um, I think this is as good as argument as any. So we'll see what happens. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's still the, the, the 75 constitutional process. Is, yeah, the, it's pro 75 the process is extremely difficult because, you know, Idaho and Wyoming and yeah, North Dakota right. won't agree to it. So that's no. that's where it's problematic. Um, uh, uh, but I think there's other things that could happen out of this, too. Um, and I think the real positive thing, as we talk about ripping off the Band-Aid and we come back to the racial justice issue, is that that it was back when uh, George Floyd happened and the protests started, we saw a huge uptick among white Americans in support for racial justice issues, that there was some recognition there. That you know what this is really a big problem, and we do need something to do something about it. Now that kind of waned over the summer, as some of the protests became violent. Some of them got sure. meshed up with other protests, um, and it muddied the waters. And then Trump and his folks put out the call for uh, law and order and tried to you know scare people that the black people were going to move into your neighborhoods, uh, but. 
we're back to that position again. Why did this happen? And I go back to the work that I did with John Dean on that authoritarianism survey. There's two real issues at play in, in psychological scales that we were looking at in this. One was just out and out authoritarianism, that you're willing to give over um, uh, rule of government to a single person and damn the, the um, separation of powers and all the democratic norms. But then there's a second called social dominance orientation. And that has to do about thinking that some groups are better than others. And at its core is race. It's the combination of the social dominance and the right-wing authoritarianism, people who are high on both scales. So they're basically they're racist and they're willing to be authoritarianism. Because there are a lot of folks who are racist who still say, hey, we still got to follow the rule of law. It's this combination that our authoritarianism and racist that we've had problems with and that have that these are the folks that invaded the Capitol. Uh, these are the folks that are being propped up. Is that this, I think, opens the opportunity for Joe Biden and others to say, this is our original sin. We can't dance around this anymore. We can't just like come up with, uh, with uh, a few solutions here and there and try to patch this up. We've got to put the patient on the operating table and rip this cancer out right now. I think that's the opportunity that we have right now to take. And what I'm amazed at is that there are, there are loads of folks across the political spectrum who are starting to say this. Um, your friend, a former presidential candidate, Joe Walsh, for example, has been talking a lot about the need for racial justice. Uh, no one says my friend. Yeah, uh, but, but uh, you're, you, know, you know Joe Walsh. You, you've, you've, you've spoken with him. You know, you know him. Um, so, you know, those are the kinds of things that we need, that, that kind of awakening that, you know, it's time to do this. You know, before January 6th happened, I thought what Joe Biden needs to do in order to, 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 to accomplish these things is to find a common enemy. And I thought, you know, this Russian hack, which, by the way, we, there's something that, you know, it, we're not even talking about right now on this show, right? And this is huge, the, the Russian um, intelligence hack into our governmental systems. It's a huge attack from a foreign power and should be treated as such. It's an act of war. And I thought Joe Biden could use that to try to create a common enemy because that's what you need. You need a common, common enemy for the country to either, either if you even if you don't rally around them, it shuts up the people on the other side. It shuts up the nut jobs, at least for a, a while, and allows you to accomplish certain things. But I think what happened on January 6th takes, takes the place of that. And even more so because it's specifically about racism. What happened on January 6th is about racism. It wouldn't happen if we didn't have the sin of racism in this country. So if you've been listening to the show for a long time, uh, you, I, I'm sure you've heard me talk about the night that Donald Trump was elected, driving down the West Side Highway and having a moment of thought saying, this is really bad. Uh, and what's the upside here? Is there some upside? And yeah, there is some upside. What is the upside? This could be the thing that's needed eventually to change things in this nation. As devastated as I was by January 6th, were, was anything going to really change? Now it has to change. We have to see what's in front of us. What, Patrick, what you're talking about here. So it gives the uh, fuel to the fire of change, which maybe when we look back in 20 years 
and we look back on Donald Trump, we may say he was the pivot point for our nation as we come to the end of the first quarter of our first millennium as a nation. How things go over the course of these next months will be determinative. But then today, when, when we go back to this question, what is the health of the of the patient? What is the what is the state of the republic? And we said it's on life support. And at one point, you said the republic has died. I think the republic has a chance now because of this traitorous insurrection to find its way towards healing, to find its way towards reality of what's happening to so many people in this country. To watch police treat white insurrectionists, traitors, with love, literally walking an old woman down the steps and watching police handcuff and put a knee on the back of their neck, not just of George Floyd, but of American protesters. It's very clear. What will we do about it? But it's very clear. Yeah, I think, you know, using our analogy, when we talk about the health of the Republic of where the patient is, um, I think this, I, I've talked about the fact that the patient is, was already in intensive care even before Donald Trump uh, came into office. And Donald Trump was just the staff infection um, that could potentially kill the patient. I think we're we're close to saying we've cleared up the staph infection. The patient has been near death many, many times, went brain dead. In fact, I think I declared at one point. You did. Um, but I think, you know, this is like an episode of, remember that show House with Hugh Laurie, where he could yeah. diagnose the strangest things? I think what happened is we've finally come up with the diagnosis or recognized the diagnosis of what the actual disease is. We've been treating so many other diseases that we haven't been willing to admit or recognize what the true disease that has been causing the ill health of the patient, the decline of the patient. And I think what happened on January 6th is we had that January 6th, uh, as, as um, Nancy Pelosi pointed out in, uh, in the Christian world, is the Feast of the Epiphany. Well, we had an epiphany on January 6th. The real disease of, uh, is racial injustice. That's what we need to treat. If we don't treat it, the patient will die. Okay. Well, um, let's do another part of the show. I'm going to take one more breath. Justin, hold the, hold the 90 seconds. I think we all need a breath before we hop yeah. into it. Okay. Uh, we were going to do the next part of the show. And we're really going to focus on uh, the Georgia elections. We're going to focus on... Uh, Stacey Abrams, we're also going to talk about how how this went, <laughs> how this all happened, and then what the effect is going to be. So we're going to move on to our hot take segment. We're going to take 90 seconds to discuss some of these other topics in the news. And when you hear this sound, it'll be time to move on to the next topic. So Patrick, Georgia is is now uh, now has two senators, a, a Jewish man and a, an African-American man who are in the United States Senate and have tilted the Senate to the Democrats, 50-50 with Kamala Harris being the deciding vote. Stacey Abrams was incredibly key in this. Uh, what do you think her next bit of business will be? 
Well, if the Democrats are smart, they'll figure out a way to clone her and send her to North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas. And I think we can make this list go on and on. Um, it, it's it's just amazing what she did. Remember, she declined to run for Senate herself. She said that's Seemed not a job. foolish that, at the time to yeah, me. She said she right. didn't want that's not a job that she wanted. She mm-hmm. did want to be vice president, did not get yes. named that. And that was the smartest move, I think, that. Joe Biden may have made, if he even considered her, is keeping her in in Georgia because she built this up over years. This has been more than 10 years coming for her. Mm -hmm. And remember, she lost that election two years ago, that gubernatorial election. That was basically rigged against her by her opponent, who happened to be secretary of the state at the time and then became governor in that election. But she kept fighting. Enemy number three to Donald Trump. Right. And then she kept fighting, though. She kept fighting and she said, I we will overcome the the uh the attempts and and the structural issues that disenfranchise black voters. Even with that happening, we'll be able to do that. And she did it. And she did it twice. The organization that I work for is called the New Deal Leaders. And Stacey Abrams and Pete Buttigieg were both members of the New Deal Leaders while they were in state and local government. That's something that I tip my hat to for the New Deal Leaders and something I'm kind of proud of. Stacey Abrams, I believe, is going to be running for governor in 2022. She's going to win the governor's office in 2022 in Georgia. That's what I fully expect to see happen. And then she's going to run for president in 2028. That's what she said she was going to do. I believe that's what she is going to do. Maybe it's going to be 2032, but she is a force of nature, and we are blessed for the work and power that she has given to our country. Yep. But let's uh, point out the other person who was instrumental in this and uh, what happened in Georgia, and that's Donald Trump. What do you think? There's no question. There's no question about that. There's there's no way that the Georgia runoffs, which are famous for Republicans coming out and Democrats not coming out, there's no way that it would have been as successful for the Democrats if Donald Trump had not sabotaged the Republican Party, which is why the Republican Party should take glee in making sure that he is out of politics for the rest of his life. Because him, he, he basically he, he he basically told everyone in Georgia on his side that their vote didn't matter. So they didn't show up to vote during a pandemic. Yeah. And the, the turnout patterns that, that we're seeing so far, and we'll know more when we get the actual um voter histories of what happened and who showed up. But but if you just look precinct by precinct at the, at the turnout, it looks like, yes, those Trump cultists, the only reason that they went out and voted in November was because they were gang uh, busters for, for Donald Trump, stayed home, whereas black voters came out in a way that they've never come out before in a runoff, uh, partially due to Stacey Abrams, but partially due to Donald Trump. I mean, the, you know, those two things. So D- Stacey Abrams gets out the black vote. Donald Trump, his voters stay home because they have no allegiance whatsoever to anything other than Donald Trump. And because he was coming out and saying that the secretary of state, the governor, that they're all corrupt in your state. Yeah. Well, are you going to go? Are you going to say, well, let me pack, get my jacket on and go out and vote on the day? No. And they didn't. And that's why Ossoff and Warnock are going to be senators and probably going to be senators for a good long time. Yep. All right. So there was a. Uh, one thing for for the world of world of polling, uh, looks like polling had this kind of right. Uh, they had Warnock up by about two points, I believe, and Ossoff up by one point, and that's about where it landed. Patrick, what is your feeling on it from a polling perspective? Polling's back, baby. Um, 
<laughs> no, but seriously, um, I didn't pull this race um, just because I, in many ways I just needed the time off and uh, the timing as of we it did. just didn't work. Yes. Um, but you look at the polling and, 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 and it was a little all over the place in a sense, but the average of the polls was almost dead on the mark of, of what happened here. And it goes back to we're still uh, we're still doing an autopsy of what happened in November. Um, we're still getting the information that we need to, in order to do that. But everything that we're seeing right now is basically feeding uh, and supporting what my inclination was in November is that the pro- polling only has a problem when the name Donald Trump is on the ballot. So you think that the polling moving forward should be a little bit more accurate? Yeah. Because I, Donald I do. Trump- that, that's my, I mean, again, we don't have all the evidence for that uh, to, to support that, but that's been my inclination all along. And this, what happened in, in this runoff uh, seems to support that, that Donald Trump just created this bizarre world, this entity where we just weren't getting a certain group of his supporters. By the way, and why, why weren't we getting them? Because they came out to vote for Donald Trump, but they won't come out and vote for anybody else. So the fact that if we miss them in the polls in a normal election doesn't matter because they don't vote. They only come out to vote for Donald Trump. So, and that you think that they're going to come missing. out and vote starting in 2022 or 2024? No, I, no, because Donald Trump is actually going to do all that he can to sabotage the Republican Party. Right, right. Would so you, the fact that they don't talk to us pollsters doesn't matter because they don't vote. Um, if Donald Trump's not on the ballot, so I think that's. <laughs> I mean, we still have a lot to look at polling, but um, I think that's a that's good news for for not just polling, but for the country as a whole. So this one is going to be a double hot take because we got a lot to say. Go ahead, Patrick. All right. So um, uh, what do you think? Everything that's happened over the past week uh, impact is going to be on 2022. Oh, man, this is what I really want to talk about. So here's the problem for the Republican Party. They're going to primary everyone in the Republican Party. Donald Trump is not going to stay quiet. He came out last night like a little and said, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. And this is terrible what they did. And then he came out today and he said the 75 million voters will not be silenced. That means that every single person in 2022, which is why James Lankford is a traitor, because he did not want to get primaried in Oklahoma. Sweet James Lankford. Well, now he's going to get primaried. Everybody's going to get primaried. And you know what? The Trump people are going to win more than not. And you know what? They're all going to lose when the election happens in 2022. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, a couple places where we have Republican senators up for re-election. They are going to lose. Republican seats up for election. There's going to be the opposite of what we typically see. Typically, two years after a new president is inaugurated, you see a pushback. We saw it with Trump. We saw it with Obama. We saw we didn't see it with Bush in the exact same way, but we're going to see it in a huge way. But it's going to flip and the Democrats are going to win the House by a tremendous amount because you're going to have QAnon, you know, conspiracy theorists running for Congress. Yes, they're going to get through in some places, but in a lot of places they're going to lose and senators are going to lose. And the Democrats now, are going to be stronger. That's what I think. Now, I've been uh, in this game for a long time as an analyst of the numbers. So the only caveat that I would put on this is that it's a lot can change in that time. I've seen it before. I, yes. Um, remember, yes, remember again, remember why um, stellar uh, Democrats did not run, uh, put their hat in the ring in 1991 for president to run against George H.W. Bush. Because there was they no way he was, was going to lose. There's no way he's going to lose. And guess what? 
So I hear you. I hear so, you. But so these things, so things Donald can change. Trump, they can change. But as of right now, that's the way I'm calling it is that Donald Trump is going to be exactly what Lindsey Graham said he was in 2015. He said, if we elect this guy to be our standard bearer, the Republican Party will be destroyed and we will deserve it. You haven't been destroyed yet. You're going to be destroyed now. Yeah. Well, we don't even have to look uh, ahead to 2022 because we have two key elections in 2021, and that's uh, the governorships in uh, Virginia and New Jersey. Um, I've been following the New Jersey one closely. Governor Phil Murphy, will, uh, the Democrat, running for re-election. But on the Republican side, a, a lot of moderates uh, who would be key people, you know, that would be strong contenders against him, have, have said they can't. They won't. They won't run because they can't win in a Trump primary. That's right. Trump party primary. And so you're going to, at least in New Jersey, I haven't looked close what's coming in Virginia, but at least in New Jersey, you're going to get a Trumpist. You're going to get a Trumpist and they're going to be rejected. Over the country. That's what I'm saying. That's why I was excited. And that's why we doubled it up. Okay. Here comes one of my favorite parts of the show. Every time we do a show and, and thank you everybody for your understanding. Patrick needed a break. We all needed a break, but we're back. We're here and we're very grateful to, to have you listening with us today. One of our favorite parts of the show is bringing Justin Mason, our producer, on for one hot topic. So, Justin, do you have any thoughts about uh, about what's going on? <laughs> uh, so many thoughts, uh, but you can you can find most of them on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I think that this is a tumultuous time in American history, uh, and if you look at other times in American history, a leader has stepped up that maybe wouldn't have been a lot of people's first choice, but they were the right man for the job at the right time. And I believe that Joe Biden is going to be that guy. He's not a partisan. He's he's a guy who can work with both sides. And I think he, if anybody in American politics right now can try to bridge the gap and bring this country together, I do believe that Joe Biden is that man and I hope he is successful and I hope that the conservative side of this country allows him to help us heal. You know, the only the only correction I'm going to make is the right person for the job as opposed to the man for the job, because yes. especially as Kamala Harris is, is, is stepping forward as the first vice president. Thank you. I think you're I think you're right. There was a moment, Justin, where uh, Biden came out over the last couple of days when he came out on the 6th and gave his speech. He came out as a man with no fear. He looked directly into that camera. He knew exactly what he wanted to say. And I saw a man who lost children who said, what are you going to do? Kill me? You can't hurt me any more than I've been hurt. I'm going to do everything I can for this country. And I saw him for his son, Bo. I saw him. It was very moving to me, and I, I, I think you're right. I hope you're right. I pray yeah, you're I, right. I saw the yeah. I, it's funny because that's exactly what I was thinking of when I watched. Because you know, I had the TV on all day because I was going to watch the whole thing. So the whole had it saw it all transpired. And so when Joe Biden came on, uh, uh late on um, Wednesday afternoon or early evening, I forget what time it was exactly. It was it was, it was afternoon because it was before Donald Trump came out and gave right. his right. Sorry, go ahead. And I was pacing the floor. I was enraged. I was upset. I just didn't know, you know, my wife and I didn't know what to do. My kids who I don't know what your kids were doing, you know, my kids happened to be, you know, roaming around the room. 
Um, and my uh, 11-year-old daughter just was clearly getting scared by what she, what, what she was watching and just said, go go to another room and, and, and go play. Because yeah, we all felt it, and there was no question um, uh, that we felt this. And then when Joe Biden came out, while it didn't alleviate everything that I was feeling, I had the same feeling that, that Justin did. But also the same thing that you were thinking is that I felt it, I felt the confidence there for the very reason that I, I knew that I was looking at a guy who had suffered great tragedy himself. And I would, you know, Bo, um, his wife, his, his daughter, daughter. Um, and knowing that as he uttered those words, you believed it. You believed everything that he was saying and you felt, oh, thank God this guy is going to be president in a few days. Yeah. Well. Okay, let's move on now to our guardian of the week. Uh, Patrick, You, this is someone who puts um, the future of our republic ahead of their own political future. So the opposite of that would be Ted Cruz. The opposite of that would be Josh Hawley. The opposite of that would be Lindsey Graham. And I can't even believe we haven't talked about Ben Sass. <sighs> Next time. Yeah. You, yeah. You, I, well, real quick on Ben Sass. Go ahead. You, you, you take it because you, you have to say something about Ben Sass because, again, the Ben Sass emerges after he's passed his uh, the threat of yeah. a primary challenge. Then That's suddenly, it. suddenly he's Ben Sass again. He's Ben Sass. He's this is the guy that I was talking about in November of 2019 as we were doing our show. And I said, there's there's two people who are going to stand up. It's going to be Mitt Romney and it's going to be Ben Sass. And the reason I held such anger in my heart for Ben Sass is because uh, uh, he put his own political future ahead of the Republic period. He did it. So now as he stands in front of the country and calls out president Trump says that he will look very carefully at impeaching him. Yeah. He's doing everything that I thought that he would do, but do you give him credit for it now? Do no. you, are you glad or am I glad that he's out there doing it now? Yes, I am. Do I give him credit for it? No. As I wrote on Twitter, and I don't tweet that much, but I wrote on Twitter, I said, when you run for president and you're going to, because you'd be a, you'd probably be a good one, you can, ne it can never be forgotten what you've done, that you let it pass, that you wouldn't let the witnesses speak, and you knew better, you know better. So now here he is showing us how he knows better. Right. And it's, All right, it's enough, enough on Ben Sass. Ben Sass, Ben Sass. Okay, so that turns us to our guardian of the week. Gabriel Sterling. Gabriel Sterling nomination, I back it. Yes, the he is the uh, uh, the silver-haired uh, voting system implementation manager. That's his title in Georgia. So he's the guy who comes out after uh, Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, and he explains, you know, step by step what is going on in the vote. So we saw him in November. Um, you know, upstanding guy. He's a, he's a Republican. He says, you know, he voted for Purdue. He voted for Leffler. He mm -hmm. supported them. But after that call in Georgia to, to Raffensperger and the lies, um, you know, last weekend, uh, uh, President Trump and Raffensperger came out and spoke against him. But it's Sterling who really Screamed took the lead. against him. Screamed who took the lead him. and basically point by point. In fact, I saw somebody on Twitter say to him, I, after Trump leaves office, I want to hire you just to follow him around to correct every lie he tells. And Sterling tweeted back, that's more than a one-man job. Um, Sterling just came out and said things that 
that a normal voting systems implementation manager who's just saying, hey, here's the vote, here's you know what we're counting, this is what we're looking at, said, look, there is no evidence of irregularities. The biggest thing we've seen is from the president's fertile mind of finding fraud where none exists. And then on Wednesday morning, as people were still trying to say, hey, you know, Purdue and Loeffler are trying to say, has every legal vote been counted or whatever, he said, look, the remaining vote is coming from Democratic areas. Warnock and Ossoff have won. I mean, he's just, he's fed up. He's fed up and he's not going to take it anymore. Um, his his integrity has been impugned. And again, he's a Republican who supported Leffler and, and uh, Purdue in the election. He voted for them, but he's the first one out of the box to say they lost. Small Trump caveat. Lost. Small caveat for me. Sure. I have a small caveat on this. And I still back the Guardian of the Week. But on the day of the election, he endorsed and he endorsed Leffler and Purdue. Now, here's why I object to that. They had said that they are going to back for political craven reasons because they were running for office and they needed to keep the Trump support. But they came out and they said that they agree with Donald Trump, that there was illegalities all over the country and that they were going to support Trump in this fight. So to me, it's the only thing I really do want to say about Gabriel Sterling is I, I question that. I question how he can endorse someone who is backing the lie that he fights so strongly. So it's still Guardian of the Week. I don't object to it, but I do want to put that caveat out there. Yeah, you, and, that, you, and that's one of, and one of the reasons why we didn't name Brad Raffensperger, who has been named in the past. And as Stacey Abrams has pointed out, she would disagree. She would say, yeah, he's doing his job. But remember, he's also supporting all sorts of other things that's going to try to make it harder for us to win again in 2022. Um, and so remember while, while he's, uh, you know, Sterling is, is, is somebody who's, you know, appointed to a, a kind of an administrative uh, operational position. Uh, Raffensperger is elected to a political position. And what Stacey Abrams is reminding us is um, they did their job in this election but that doesn't get a job on us in the last one. Right. And it's still and the fight still isn't over. We got to remain vigilant, though. Gabriel Sterling did help tilt towards the Republic this week. Also, yeah, I just want to make a quick note before we wrap. Uh, you'll notice that we uh, opened the show differently this week. Uh, I, I chose that and I brought it to Patrick because I thought that this this quote by Ulysses S. Grant, which I'm going to repeat now, whatever we may, whatever may have been my political opinions before, I have but one sentiment now. We have a government and laws and a flag, and they must all be sustained. There are but two parties now, traitors and patriots. I want hereafter to be ranked with the latter. And I brought that to Patrick. And then <laughs> Patrick was my little acting coach, and he was like, yeah, bring a little bit more whiskey to it. He's a little... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we hope you enjoyed that, uh, and uh, I, I know I did, and okay. I appreciate and it. Apropos, considering the the time in which uh, Grant yeah. said that is is analogous to where we are right now. And thank you for all listening. right. So yes. go ahead, wrap us up. 
that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. Uh, if you have any comments or thoughts for the show, reach out to us on Twitter at GuardiansOTR. Which is fun when you send the gifts of the kid getting all excited that the show's coming back. We, we got a gig- giggle out of that that a couple of people did send that. Please remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends and family so others can find us. Also, if you want to catch up on some of our past episodes, check out our website at guardians-republic.com. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We're not sure exactly when the next episode will be, but we will be back with a new episode sometime in the near future. See ya, Justin, as always. Thank you.